Hello there, and welcome back to your favorite storytelling podcast, Tales from a Cult Insider. I remain your ever-loyal insider, host with a toast, who tries not to boast too much, and I'm going to stop with the, the rhyming. My name is Jared Garrett. I grew up and was born, raised, all that stuff, in the Process Church of the Final Judgment, one of the more infamous cults in the UK and the USA for a little while in the 60s and 70s. Just to recap, that cult morphed over many years into Best Friends Animal Society, and I'm here to tell you all about growing up in what used to be a strange, secretive, secretive, wow, secretive, religious, and somewhat nomadic for a while, commune. As always, you're welcome to post questions to me. I've got several to answer today. We're going to answer all the rest of the questions in the question bank because I don't want to leave people hanging. Uh, please post your questions to Twitter. I'm on there at just me, Jared Garrett. Uh, Facebook, Jared Garrett Author. Email is Jared at, you guessed it, jaredgarrett.com. I do speaking engagements. I'm happy to tell fun stories that will tend to inspire and make people cheer and probably laugh a little bit and maybe feel a little sympathy, but I don't try too much sympathy. Why? My life is grand, guys. Uh, your questions will be featured on the podcast and I'll name you as well. Let's just jump right to questions today. We're going to start with questions from my friend James B. in Wisconsin. That's right, they make cheese, don't they? Anyway, uh, he has a lot of questions and I can answer them quite briefly. First, have you studied other cults? No, James, I really haven't, actually. I, I could see why it might be of interest to me, but it's just not. I did watch the first episode of one of Leah Rem Remini, I think it is. Uh, her She did several specials on Scientology. I watched the first episode of one of those. I'm not interested. Not for me. Uh, so not really. When I hear about them, uh, like the uh, polygamous cults um, and David Koresh, and of course, down in Waco and such, the blip that they are on my personal radar is probably a little bigger than for most, um, but I tend to move on pretty quick. Have I ever tried to free someone from a cult is the next question. Um, no, uh, because I, again, I haven't really encountered many other or any other real cults. That said, upon my departure from the cult, the at the time Foundation Faith of God, uh, and which had also morphed into Best Friends Animal Society, being two entities in one, essentially, um, I was of the opinion that all organized religion was stupid and a waste of time. And so my, my intention in life was to free people from their um, kind of illusions and the way they were fooling themselves. And um, so for me, God was kind of a joke. Uh, faith was, a, was okay, I guess, but any kind of organized congregational type uh, religion was generally just destructive and bad. And so did I feel like I could go around and uh, tear down other religions? I sure hoped I could. I, I entertained a silly notion once, soon after moving to Kanab, that I would tear down the LDS Church as well, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, thinking that I had had a hand in the tearing down of the foundation, which I almost certainly did not have a hand in. I, I mean, I, I, I can say with certainty I exacerbated the exasperation of the adults in Dallas by being deliberately obnoxious, calling them out, uh, making them angry. Uh, that was all for a purpose, which I'll get to one day. Uh, so no, haven't freed anybody from a cult. Thought I'd uh, free people from organized religion. Have not done so. 
Next, what perspective does your growing afford you when looking at the Waco incident in the 90s? Number one, aggression, violence. That, we are way too quick to be aggressive and violent. Straight up, okay? We need to slow down. People need to communicate. People need to listen. People need to listen. There is no call for violence. That that was a mess from top to bottom. Now, I don't know Koresh's mind. Pretty sure that's the one. I don't know if his intention all along was to go down and take the rest down with him in a terrible, terrible, tragic mess. Um, but I will tell you that I, I think law enforcement is laudable. They put themselves on the line uh, at, at incredible uh, moments of uh, heroism and... Sometimes there are mistakes made um, by organizational bodies and by commanding bodies as well. And we'll stop there. That was that was pretty politically safe, wasn't it? Okay. Next questions. These are crazy. Do I miss anything from the cult? And he suggests connection, punishment, crazy rules. I miss literally nothing that is that could be, you know, incontrovertibly associated with the cult. If it's got a cult association from my past, I don't miss it. However, one of the features of my life growing up was um, isolation, which tended to mean some peace of mind, or at least peace uh, in my surroundings at times. I, I could be on my own a lot, and I like being on my own. Not nearly as much as I used to. Uh, I wouldn't like it as much as I used to experience, is what, is what I should say. But, you know, having some time to myself is great. Um, I might miss that a little bit, not being neglected, not not having a family by any means, but having time to myself is nice. But right now I've got time to myself and what am I choosing to do? I'm talking to you, my friends, I'm talking to you. That's right. That's how much I love you guys. Good times. Next question is what smells take you back in an instant? Uh, I've been thinking about this because I got this question, I think last week. Uh, it's hard to pin down more than just a couple. The first one is burning toast. If you have read Beyond the Cabin, um, that you, you may remember from chapter two, a uh, distinct image of burnt toast hanging in the air. That's right. Burnt toast was fairly common uh, growing up, especially in Dixie uh, and other houses that I lived in, but mostly Dixie. And so, uh, yeah, the smell of burnt toast really does take me back. I, I can tell you that my kids might not be happy with the fact that it takes me back. It's not like I'm triggered and I come down all in a fury. But if I smell burnt toast, I'm going to bring it up to the kids and say, guys, why are we burning toast? Possibly a little more sternly than they than they deserve. So burnt toast is one of them, and it's another burnt thing. Burnt oatmeal. Uh, yeah, burnt oatmeal. It, it's it got a distinct burnt oatmeal. Burnt oatmeal smell. I mean, you've, you've smelled burnt oatmeal, surely. Um, yeah, that, that brings me right back. Uh, especially when it's been soaked and you're scrubbing it off. There's something about that smell. It's like, wow. I am bent over a hot sink again in Dixie or El, El Santo or in Pennsylvania or somewhere else, scrubbing in a pot again. It's crazy, guys. All right. And then Aiden in St. Louis, last question, asked a question that I, <laughs> I don't know how to answer this. I'll try. What made it a cult? Well, all righty. I mean, so there are people who, who, who have, you know, to my face and also digitally over the interwebs, um, I basically taken the position that I had a pretty dang good life. I was provided for. I had playmates, quote unquote. Um, 
I was taken care of and educated, etc. And so I actually had a pretty good life. They're wrong. They're wrong. But they believe that I had a per perfectly fine life. There are aspects of my life that were perfectly fine. Uh, and there are lots of good things. And I'm going to talk a little bit about one of those things today uh, as the story goes on. But um, yeah, no, I don't know exactly what made it a cult beyond the fact that it was a very strong personality um, person, just this person with a very strong personality leading people into a lifestyle that was quite insular and secretive in a way. Uh, and that was entirely determined by her desires and personality. Kind of, it was a cult of personality for one. Furthermore, the religious aspect of it was quite fringe. Uh, it was not your normal type of religion. Um, and it was small, and they lived in a, as a commune. I'm pretty sure that that just makes it a cult. So I, I hope that I answered that properly, Aiden. Thank you, sir. Now, today's episode is episode 11. It's called Dogs, Their Poo, and Me. Okay, so that's a direct reference to um, the many summers I spent at Best Friends uh, at Angel Canyon, um, which used to be called Kanab Canyon, in southern Utah, just north of Kanab. Uh, we were often on work crews. We talked last, last week about all the trenches that we dug. I hopefully made very fun and, and interesting and clear the image of a row of young people um, just digging trenches that were 18 inches deep to lay water pipe talked a lot about uh, tapping water tables, but there was lots of other work that we did. And <clears throat> it tended to be the work that the adults didn't want to do because we were the kids. Kids couldn't talk back. Kids couldn't be in charge. Kids had to do what they were told. So, I mean, at the time that we started going there, there were already about 500 rescue dogs in a variety of kennels and runs um, these kind of big enclosed spaces with dog houses and some sage, a lot of kind of short sage bush, bushes. And then there was also some, some bigger like junipers and, and stuff like that. Um, and so they were, the, you know, you'd have any, anywhere from three to seven or eight dogs running free in a, in one of these dog run areas with several dog houses in it. And you know what dogs do pretty regularly, right? I mean, they, they poo kind of a lot guys. Uh, when you think about how often we were there, which was only, <clears throat> excuse me, only once a year, but the kids were there for about two months every summer, it seemed like maybe they weren't scooping poo until we were there sometimes because I got a little high. Sometimes because there was a lot of dog crap to scoop. I mean, yeah, it's a pretty unpleasant, you know, job to do. And so I can get it. I get it when if they don't want to. But wow, there was a lot of poo. So my friends, let me make it as clear as words can make it. I spent endless hours of endless days of endless weeks scooping dog crap. I did. I didn't do it with like a little plastic bag coating my hand as if it were kind of a faux glove. I did it with this, with, with, with a real professional dog scoop, poop scooper. I don't really want to keep building the image of poo, but it's what I was scooping, guys. It was baked, folks. It was sunny and baked. The stuff was not gross, although it smelled bad. So there was a, you, you have a, it, it's like a shovel that's where the shovel part has been bent up and kind of perpendicular. So it's an L-shaped and it's got some walls. So you can scoop a lot of dog crap into it with this sort of rake thing. 
and you dump that into a bag that you haul around, and you fill up two or three bags per, per dog run uh, in the course of about two or three hours, and then you move to the next dog run. Uh, and so <clears throat> we were yelled at if we didn't get it done thoroughly, if we missed stuff that was obvious. Um, and so it just became a question of, well, this is my life now uh, for at least the next couple of days. I'm on pooper scooper duty. And yeah, pooper scooper. Uh-huh. That's what we called it sometimes too. So yeah, we were issued. <clears throat> Man, I don't know what's wrong with my throat. We were issued our scooper and um, basically a box of black trash bags, of the stretchy ones. They had kind of stretchy ones back then. Uh, glad, hey, what's up? And um, we would be sent to the beginning of the dog run and, and be told, okay, do this one and the two that are kind of attached are just up the row from here. And, um, <laughs> you know, make sure you pause for lunch and drink plenty of water. And there you go. That was that. Uh, and that's how my days began when I was on Pooper Scooper Duty. He said duty. Ha ha. Wreck-It Ralph. Greatest animated movie of all time. Oh, yeah. And so we, well, not we. My routine was simple. Get my things, my Pooper Scooper, as I said, in my box of bags. And I would go to the dog run gate and stand there for a minute, gauging the aggressive level of or the aggression level of the dogs within the run. Many of them were just starving for attention because, man, there's so many dogs. How do you how do you give them all the love that they need? Because, again, as I've said before in not a podcast, but in my memoir, dogs are basically love golems, right? They're, they're made to love. They're pure love. Even the ones who are broken or who, or who are uh, abused into being having terrible behavior, these animals are essentially love in, in, encased in fur. Um, and the way they express their love is with all the, all the wet tongue and the nose and the sweetness and the, and the un unconditional giving. So, unfortunately, sometimes there were dogs with major aggression issues because these were abandoned dogs that had been rescued by best friends. And so, uh, you know, we were never really taught what to do about them. Um, I did once or twice go and say, that dog has bitten me a few times. What do I do? And they say, uh, just try to avoid it. Hey, thanks. Appreciate the help. That ought to fix it. Thanks very much, Ray. No. So my, my routine was stand at the gate, uh, see which dogs look all bouncy and happy and friendly to see me, and then also gauge which dogs are looking angry. You know, luckily it was one kennel in, I don't know, or one dog out of five or six kennels that was in bad shape and would not take a liking to me. Uh, so I learned to be big. I learned to be confident, uh, look it in the eyes, not look away until it moved away, and show that I was the alpha. I learned that from uh, several nips, several bites, lots of growling, lots of hackles being raised, lots of that stuff, and me just having to never back down. Because every time I would back down or think I was good, it would come and give me a bite. Shin, knee, uh, calf. Uh, sometimes the back of my hand or the, the corner of my hand, you know, my palm where, where I wasn't protecting it well enough or something. So, you know, I learned. No worries. And no, I never got rabies. Those dogs were well taken care of in general. Um, and the ones who got more aggressive and bad, they really tended to be to be separated eventually. So I'd wait at the gate, make sure that I wasn't going about to be attacked or that I need make sure I knew which dog I needed to watch out for. Go in and then give them some love for starters. You know, you got to start out by giving them love because why wouldn't you? <laughs> dogs are awesome. I don't want a dog. I don't want a dog. I love them, though. I mean, they're so sweet and good and, in general. Not chihuahuas. 
no chihuahua chihuahua lovers i don't i don't mean like to offend i'm not into smaller chihuahua dogs um unless they're unusually friendly and affectionate um in any case yeah go in get all the licks get all the jump ups uh get the love i tended to get a favorite or two per per kennel per, per run i should say uh and then i would um as soon as things were settled in i'd start scooping and i was methodical my friends i figured you know i could do about a about a five or six foot wide column um you know i'd start at one top end and you know do a five or six foot wide column of, of scooping of poop and i would just walk straight down the fence line scooping it up into my, my thingamajig having two or three bags tied to my belt loops and at the end of each column i'd put a bag down and drop the crap and then go back up you know with another five or six foot wide kind of row or column you could call it so basically i'd cover a lot of ground but it wasn't and i'd be very thorough um i wouldn't have to go back and check or anything like that because i was thorough every so often i was bloody irritated and so i'd just kick sand over it but remember this is in the high desert and so it was all sandy i didn't have to contend with grass most of the time um, or really hardly ever just sometimes sagebrush or something like that our weird weird kind of yellowy summer des desert grass um it was really easy to pick up the stuff it had been baked for a long time and boy howdy there was a lot sometimes it was hard to walk without getting you know kind of stepping on it um to this day my friends i don't walk in grass unless it's light and i can see everywhere every step i take i will not step in dog poo i will not i've done it enough in my lifetime I hate having to wash it from my from from the bottom of my shoe. It's a smell that makes me infuriated. Um, it's it's hard for me to keep my temper down and breathe out the fury uh, when I'm smelling dog crap on my shoes or anybody else's shoes. It's just disgusting. So yeah, so I got a little bit of trauma. It's not trauma. It's just you know I know better. But my friends, I learned. Um, yeah, and so these kennels would take me about an hour and a half to two hours. And I'd be by myself except for with dogs who had lost interest because I wasn't giving them much love anymore. Sometimes the dogs would be, a, one dog or this dog would be a little relentless and keep following me, but that's okay. It was nice to have a bit of a friend. But there you go. I was, that. I mean, imagine, there I am. I've got three kennels to do. I got a whole day to do them. Um, I mean, three kennels is a pretty good amount to do in a, in a day. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd certainly get them done. I was fast, but not too fast. I didn't want to get more work, right? Uh, there I am lost in my thoughts though, for basically eight to 12 hours in one day, um, with a pause for water, uh, to go back and get more water. If I finish my, um, my kind of wa plastic water bottle that I'd be, be refilling, um, or the cup in some cases, uh, or I would just go back and get a big drink of water from a hose, uh, every hour or so. Other than that, I was on my own wandering, lost in thought. What was I thinking about? The question, what was Jared thinking about the whole time? Honestly, I don't remember a lot, which is great, right? You know, I got so good at being with myself in my own brain, having a conversation, imagining stories, fantasizing about me being with um, my crush, which uh, re read my memoir one day when it's out. And um, hey, agents, I have a memoir that's ready to be published. It's really good and it needs to be published. So all these listeners can know who my crush was. Um, fantasizing about us being together, having a life together, all kinds of cool stuff, you know. I was just in my brain. I got really good at being alone, like really good at it, and found that I was at peace with it and comfortable with it, like a lot of introverts are, you know. I just had such an amazing amount of opportunity to be alone with myself. Um, 
which is all right by me. Of course, surrounded by dogs as well. And so uh, I, would, I would think of different scenarios that I could do to kind of watch out for getting in trouble. I would um, think about the crappy treatment I'd received and how I might be able to avoid it the next time. I'd think about how I might do a showdown with Lucia, the leader of the Dallas branch, if I needed to sometime. Um, think about stories I was writing. I would uh, think about songs. I'd like imagine myself in a story with songs, music playing in the background. So like uh, I, I was and still am a big fan of Phil Collins. Phil Collins is my man. I love that guy. I think he's one of the most talented, skilled, hardworking artists that, was, that ever lived. And I'm so glad that he was at his prime in my, in my day and age. Um, you know, take a look at me now. I, I played that song over and over in my head and imagined myself involved in some, you know, crazy dramatic love story. Uh, or other other songs. I'm trying to think of some others. Like uh, When I Look in Your Eyes by, I think, Bad English or no, some other one. I forget who it was. Dang, it's terrible. Um, Skid Rose, uh, I Remember You, stuff like that. Uh, warrant, uh, all those good old 80s hair bands. I would just imagine myself, uh, journeys faithfully, you know, in these dramatic uh, love situations. Because, guys, romantic. Always have been, always will be. It has served me well to be a romantic. Fairly unabashed about it. Um, never particularly interested in hiding it, um, except for when initially starting a relationship or something. Didn't want to scare the girls off, you know what I'm saying? Um, but a lot of my ability to imagine, to be at peace and comfortable with silence, with myself, with my brain, my own voice, that came from scooping a bunch of dog poo. Yeah, I love that. That's one of the coolest things, you know? Um, was it a ridiculous work? It sure was. Did I scoop about, I'm pretty sure, a about two actual tons of dog poo in my life. I really did. I really did. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I, the math is pretty good, guys. I figured, you know, it's about it was about 40 pounds per full bag of dog poo. I could fill about four or five of those per day. Um, that's a lot. <laughs> I can't believe how much that is. That's crazy. Oh, my gosh. Um, and again, it wasn't that gross because it was baked and it was sandy. So there's that. Uh, I want to share a couple of fun tidbits to finish off today. Um, one of the funny things about the whole situation was that money tended to be a bit of an issue. Uh, even though things seemed to be stable, there was an issue about continuing to make plenty of money. There was always, you know, discussion about how we need to sit, get Faith Canyon sold and we're trying to make sure we get our payments made and um, uh, the funders need to make more money and stuff like that. Uh, and, and so it was pretty funny because Lucia felt like she had to teach us kids to be really strong, devoted, dedicated supporters of the foundation and best friends. And some of the ways that she would do that would be she would lecture us, but other times she would write songs. Now, this is somewhat separate from dog poo, but it's fairly connected to dog poo as well. She'd write these songs that were uh, words to different, you know, it was up, they were written to tunes of other songs that were possibly popular. Um, in one case, she wrote a song that was to a tune of a song Another song that was popular, but not in the United States of America. It was popular in the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. Guys, to, to grab a term from my friend Graham Bradley, who's a good writer, go check out his book, The Hero Next Door, and a series, I think, called Rebel Hearts. He's a really good writer. 
Um, he the way he pointed it, he, the way he said it was if the USSR was on a map and when you were a kid, uh, you're older than a millennial. I think that's something like what he said. Uh, you're my age. You're Gen Xer. I think is what what we call ourselves. So, um, yeah, the USSR was around. Lucia wrote a song to the tune of the national anthem of the USSR. I don't know all of the words. I'm gonna sing you a bit of it though. <clears throat> Red canyons, white mountains, a land for his people. Proclaim now his glory, proclaim now his song. That that that, and then she'd get to some other part, and then she wrote another song to the terms of, uh, or to the tune of, "If I only had a heart." And this is part of it. In the canyon, money grows on trees because uh, because God loves us. It's plain to see He has money for His children. Or, people and Kanab special people he sends us lots of cash and then all the kids would always say da 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 dash da 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 I don't know I I'm gonna have to reach out to some of my other some of the other kids I grew up with see if they remember these songs better but yeah she mm -hmm, we were she would write these songs and um usually in the first week of us arriving up at up at best friends we we kids would all line up in our dusty dirty jeans and we'd sing it we'd sing it for the people of best friends and all the founders there would clap and cheer and laugh and you know be very doting on us for about 10 seconds and then forget that we ever existed again um but you know for a while there were a multitude of uh, british accents coming at us oh lovely so you know john yes very good johnny that's very nice and asa oh that's excellent very nice thank you Bart. very good uh, very much uh, very clever right very good job there and then there was gabriel oh jared that's very nice Oh, I love that song. How dear, how heartfelt, how adorable. Um, yeah. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Uh, really, really a fun experience in life, being made to sing songs to the tune of the <laughs> USSR's national anthem uh, to uh, a song from Wizard of Oz and so on. And so all of that in support of Best Friends, which was becoming as I was turning 15 and 16 and 17, the main focus of everything. Uh, Dallas and all the other branches were, all the adults who went out to beg money, called funding, were getting money to support best friends and all the stuff. And so, there you go. Um, everything was focused on getting money to make sure best friends could operate. And because it, the pressure was so strong, that's eventually what led to the uh, down fall of the foundation faith of god and the total clarification that hey we're just best friends we're charity and um that comes all around because maybe that's kind of a bunch of crap and that's why the adults walked out that's the story for another podcast not next week's podcast next week's podcast we'll talk about some skills uh, and some of that we're actually going to talk a little bit about um we're going to talk about some of the better things about the cult uh, the tentative title for next week is I Have Skills, um, but I also want to point out a couple more things. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I can't thank you enough. The, the, the number of people who are listening to this is multiplying at a really great rate. I mean, it's not like I'm famous all of a sudden or anything like that. That's fine. I don't care. But I, it just it's continuing to really pleasantly surprise me. <clears throat> I know this is interesting. But surprise me at how these are being received. Thanks for reaching out. Thank you for listening. If you're interested in supporting, helping me buy a, a dozen eggs, a, a gallon of milk, a, a loaf of bread uh, for my family, there's a link on the podcast that you can just become a supporter. Uh, a couple of pennies is great. I've also got a couple of sponsors, as you've already noticed. 
just trying to, you know, see if we can help turn this into more of a living. And um, I appreciate you guys listening. I appreciate you spreading the word as far as you can. And keep sending in those questions. Thank you so much for tuning in. Tuning in. That's about our half hour. And I'll talk to you again soon.